So Psalm 119, as you are turning there, I too just want to say thanks. Thanks for helping us uh, finish strong in terms of the financial realities of of our church uh, at the end of the calendar year. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for just your acts of worship. So I just want to thank you for doing that. And, you know, in, in the flow and the rhythm of our year, Uh, We tend to talk most about our ministry fund at the end of the calendar year than at the end of the fiscal year. Those are the times of the year we we talk more about that to remind you. But it's really, it's that ministry fund that day after day, week after week, month after month, funds our mission. So thank you for your participation in that. Likewise, I would just say to those of you maybe that are newer to our church or just getting plugged in that we'd love for you to partner with us financially. And the start of the year is a great place to do that. So let me just make that suggestion to you if you're particularly new or you're kind of just getting plugged in here in the life of Hershey Free Church. Speaking of the new year, let me ask you, how did your, how did your new year start? My year, new year kind of started in an interesting way. I got up on New Year's Day. I don't know if you remember. It was, a, it was a, really, it's was, it was cool, cold, but it was, it was clear. It was sunny, which I really love. And I enjoy running down on, along Front Street in Harrisburg. So I got up mid-morning. I thought, oh, this would this just be a perfect day to go down there. I thought, you know, after all, there are not going to be a lot of people downtown. It's a holiday. So I headed downtown, and, and I got into the, the route that I often take. And about five minutes into the route, I turned onto the bridge going over to City Island. You, you guys know where that is? And I, I got about halfway across the bridge. And then, then I noticed there's, there's a large group of people gathering at the other end of the bridge. It looked like several hundred people. And I'm, you know, I'm about halfway across the bridge, and it's not a real, as you know, it's not a real big bridge. I get a little farther, and I can see, and I know, oh, wow. They're wearing these white things about this big on their clothing. Some of you are starting to put it together. And that's when it dawned on me that they're, those are racing bibs. There's a road uh, there's a road race about to start and it's going to be coming right at me across this bridge with several hundred people. And I don't know why this was, but I kid you not, the, the thought that flashed through my head was the running of the bulls in Spain. <laughs> right? And you know, people die there. And I'm thinking, oh, several hundred people are going to be coming at me. And within, within 20 seconds of me putting all this together, the race started, and all of a sudden, several hundred people, this mass of humanity is coming across the bridge right at me. So I kind of, I moved over, moved over as far as I could to the right, you know, and, and tried to take up as little space as possible, right? Skinny thoughts, George, skinny thoughts. And I kind of made my, kind of, you know, slowly navigated my way through the crowd. And of course, the, the story doesn't end there because the deal was after doing a couple of laps around City Island, by the time I'm coming back across the bridge, the first runners are coming across to finish the race. So I got to pass them again. And I can only think there were people that looked at me and go and went, who, who is this idiot that can't get the route of this race right, you know? And I got to admit, that story, it, that, that morning, it was an interesting experience because it was, it was exhilarating. It was encouraging. I mean, it was for me to get out and on a really cool, crisp day where it's bright, that's just life-giving. And to be down there along the river, there's just something about that that I find really energizing. So it was was just encouraging, exhilarating for me to be there. But it was also an awkward moment 
because here I am running against the grain, you know, running again through this crowd of all these people, then running past them again. I felt out of place, a little awkward. So it was this unique combination of emotions that was part of that experience. I tell you that story for this reason. This morning, I'm going to invite you to do something over the next 15 weeks. I'm going to invite you to do something that for you may kind of include that same range of emotion from excitement to encouragement to exhilaration to, oh, this is a bit awkward. This is a bit out of my comfort zone. It feels against the grain. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to be a part of our next series, the series that we're launching here at the beginning of 2020 called Love This Book. Over the next 15 weeks, we're going to work our way through the opening half of the Old Testament in the Bible. And I'm not only going to invite you to to come to be a part of the services on Sunday morning or to listen online, I'm also going to invite you to engage throughout the week what we're going to be talking about. We've got a devotional guide that we're making available. Many of you have already picked them up. I'm going to encourage you, invite you to have conversations with other people along the way just about what you're learning or discovering in your Live Love Lead group or in your context of your relationships. I'm going to invite you to be a part of this series. I'm going to invite you to participate. And as I said, you may, along the way, feel the same range of emotion. I mean, it can be encouraging, exhilarating. For, for many of us, maybe you're, you're already in some rhythm of getting into Scripture, so it's, just, it's encouraging for you to say, well, I, get, I can do that as part of, part of what we're doing as a church family. I mean, there's something about all of us going through this together. Hopefully it's encouraging to you. Many of you have kids that we're, this is a series where we align all of our ministries. So what our kids are doing, what our students are doing on Sundays, it, it just, it all aligns with what we're doing here on Sunday mornings so that it, hopefully that will foster some further conversation in your families if, if you'll engage it with your kids because we're all doing the same thing together. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. I also think that along the way, there are going to be moments in, you know, as you get into scripture, there are going to be, even though these can be familiar stories to many of us, there can be new insights that you glean, new ways in which you understand who God is and how he engages us in the pages of scripture. And I think that's going to be an encouragement to you. It's going to be encouraging just to perhaps see in new and different ways how the Bible fits together, how the different pieces fit together and what that looks like. But it can, be also, it's, 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 it can also be awkward, and this is going to be part of the journey as well. I mean, it can be awkward. Right? It can be awkward just to maybe carve out time because maybe this isn't a regular rhythm in our lives. We live very busy lives, so there's, you know, there's, that, there's a bit of awkwardness in carving out time to, to work this into my weekly schedule. It, you know, it can be awkward just because we're, we're talking about the Old Testament. It's very distant culturally, and So some of that feels awkward, all the names, the places, the history, it's different. It can be awkward because, you know, there's just going to be some days where I kind of open my Bible, maybe I answer some of the questions, and it just, okay, it feels maybe like I went through the motions, but there's no big aha moment, no big kind of deep inspirational insight that I've never seen before, and maybe at times that, that feels a little awkward and so the truth is, I think this, this can be, man, this can be encouraging and exhilarating, but just like my experience on that bridge, not only can it be that, man, there can be some discomfort, pull you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And so you may find yourself saying, well, okay, then, you know, do I really get into this? I mean, I picked up the book, but am I really going to stick with this? I'm going to try to engage this. Maybe I do a week or two and then, okay, well, I'm kind of done with it. And why do I really need to take this seriously? 
Well, if you're kind of wrestling with that, let me kind of engage you just by asking a different question. And this is the question. How do you look at the Bible? And here's the reason I ask. Because I think how you do or don't engage a series like this, how you experience a series like this, can be influenced by kind of how you are looking at the Bible. For instance, I think some of us, sometimes when people look at the Bible, what what they really want to lock into are the promises of the Bible, right? What I want, and maybe you would say this, right? I mean, life's complicated, our lives are busy. Some of us, you you got, you know, got, you got, responsibilities at work, you're a student, you've got family, you know, life is just busy. And so in the midst of all of that, I, I just need some encouragement, I need some inspiration. So what I need out of the Bible, I just, I need, I need those promises. On the other hand, maybe you're here this morning, and the truth is, when you think about the Bible, what you think about is a law book. You think about a collection of laws. In fact, you might even say that my hesitancy about exploring Christianity further, or or a major problem I have with Christianity, is it strikes me as it's just a, a set of rules and regulations, and Christians are people that are just trying to do their best to check the boxes off so that they can be better than the rest of us. Maybe that's how you view the Bible. Or maybe you would say, you know, what I'm really looking for in the Bible, when I think about the Bible, what I'm looking for is help in dealing with my life circumstances, help in, you know, I'm a student, how do I engage school, or I'm a parent, how do I engage my kids, or certain relationships, you know, I'm looking for help with my marriage, or how to make wise choices at work, or, you know, handle my money, or whatever. Maybe for you, when you approach the Bible, you're looking for particular insight and help that is now relevant to your situation in life. Or maybe, maybe you would just, maybe you would just say this. Maybe you'd just say, you know what, the bottom line is, George, when I look at the Bible, all I see is a really old book. This is, this is an old copy of the King James Bible. It's, this is actually 1637. It's been rebound, but this Bible... Uh, was printed in 1637. It is an old book. In fact, when you open the pages, uh, this is what you see. The, the font, it's hard to read. I mean, and, and even there's an inscription even in the front that's hard to read because handwriting has changed. And, and, and maybe when you, know, when you think about the Bible, this is this, you just can't get past this. I mean, it's an old book. The stories are old. It's a different culture, different times. So many things have changed. The geography, the history, I don't know. And, it, and you can't get past that. Now, if you approach the Bible from one of these angles, I, part of what I want you to hear is, you know, there, there's truth in each of these angles. I mean, it is the case that when you come to the Bible, it's filled with some amazing promises, it is the case that the Bible includes laws, legislation. We'll even work through part of that in the Old Testament as we go through this series. It's also true that the Bible can, in different ways, provide tremendous insight to different seasons of our lives and, and helping us in different areas of relationships and work and everyday life situations. But it's also true that, nonetheless, it's still an old book and we can get stuck in the fact that there's so much distance There's so much distance between us and the Bible, culturally, historically, geographically. And while there's truth in each of these views, if if, if that's all we lock into in terms of how you look at the Bible, I think there's there's a deeper, more profound truth that you and I are missing out on. And that deeper, 
more profound truth is this. What the Bible tells is, is a story. It's, it's a unified story. And it's God's story. It tells a story of God as creator, as the one who creates all that we see. And as the one who has created us and designed us so that we are actually created in his image. And among other things, that means that we have been created, we have been designed to be in relationship with him. We are not intended to do life alone and, and, and you're not intended to live your life alone. And, and undoubtedly, there, there are times where you feel this deeply and acutely, whether you're a Christ follower or not. You're just not designed that way. So the Bible says that this is the world God has created and he has created us in it as, as people who bear his image to be in relationship with him. Furthermore, we are to reflect that image in, in the broader realm of creation. That is, we reflect it in, we're to reflect it in, in our relationships, in our work. So our work has significance because of this. And, and so we have a role to play in this amazing creation that God has put in place. And yet there's a there's a plot twist in the storyline because into that beautiful world that God has created comes sin and brokenness and rebellion. And once again, whether you're a Christ follower or not, I think you would acknowledge we see this. We see it in the world at large. We see it in cultural conversations. You see it where you work. You see it at school if you're a student. We see it in our families. And if we're honest, we see it in ourselves. We're not always as we should be. There's, there's a brokenness there. Yet the story doesn't end there because we come quickly to see that the God who is the creator is also the God who is the redeemer, who is the rescuer. And early in the pages of Genesis, he puts, he puts a rescue plan in place and it begins with the storyline of this one man that we call Abraham and, uh, and then through his family and ultimately his family becomes this great nation. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. And that promise begins to unfold. But of course, as we follow the history of the nation, in so many ways, it becomes disappointing. In so many ways, this is a story of ups and downs. It's a story of a nation that really fails to fully live into its mission and identity. Yet the failure of this nation doesn't ultimately thwart the plan of God because from this nation will come Jesus of Nazareth, the promised one, the Messiah. The one who through his life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for us to experience forgiveness, new life, to be restored in our relationship with God and others. And the one who, as we become followers of him, gives us his spirit to be at work in us, transforming, renewing, energizing, empowering us, changing us from the inside out and equipping us so that we too can be a part of his ongoing mission. And as the storyline continues, there's the promise that one day this plan will be complete in its final form when Jesus comes again. That's the storyline of the Bible. It's it's God's story. It's the story of God as creator. It's the story of God as the redeemer. And at the heart of this story, and what drives this entire story, is the simple but profound truth that God wants to be with us. 
We saw this even in our Christmas series, right? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the names of Jesus in Matthew 1 and 2, the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel. And among other things, we looked at the fact that in those chapters, Jesus is described as Emmanuel, as God with us. So for instance, if you recall in Matthew 1, we saw this. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then shortly thereafter, Matthew says this, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And and Matthew intends for us to see these names, I think, in an interrelated way. He wants us to see that, that through Jesus, God is coming to save because God wants to be with us. That's what drives the storyline of the Bible. God wants to be with us. Now, let's just, just let that sink in for a moment, right? God wants to be with us. Would you say that with me? God wants to be with us. Let's say it one more time. God wants to be with us. Okay, this, this time I'm going to ask you to personalize it. Instead of saying God wants to be with us, let's say this. God wants to be with me, okay? Let's say that together. God wants to be with me. Now just just let that sink in for a moment. Because that's that's at the heart of the storyline of the Bible. And you see, the, the truth is this is God's word to us Because God wants to be with us. And so why should I kind of embrace this series that can both be exhilarating and encouraging and yet at times awkward and maybe even feel a little bit dry perhaps on some days? Why would I take that seriously? Because this is God's word to us and he wants to be with us. This is God's word to me because he wants to be with me. With that in mind, let's just think for a moment about different ways the Bible describes itself, different ways in which we encounter the reality that this is really God's word to us and what that means. So for instance, one of the descriptors in the, that describes the Bible that we read in the pages of scripture is that it's, it's a light. So for instance, in Psalm 119, and we'll get there in a moment, we read these words, your word is a lamp for my feet, it's a light for my path. The psalmist is talking about how God's word is intended to give direction and guidance, and that this is part of what God wants us to experience as we engage him in his word. But not only is it a light, it's also a sword. So we read this in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Some of us have come to experience this personally. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you're going through something, you're sorting out something, and just a particular passage of scripture just begins to challenge you, maybe even confront you, convict you. And if that happens, don't be surprised by that because this is one of the way God engages us through his word. Another thing we read about the Bible is this, that it endures. So for instance, in Isaiah, we read these words in Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the, flower fall, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's, right, it's the promise that God's word 
can be taken seriously because God's word endures. Maybe just one more descriptor of the Bible is that it's, it's food. It's intended to nourish, refresh, refuel. So, for instance, in the temptation account in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And among other things, I think that means this. It means you, you need this. We need this. Our souls need this. We need that encouragement, that refreshment, that empowerment that God gives us through his word. This is God's word to us because he wants to be with us. I think in the pages of scripture, one of the individuals that really gets this, I think in the pages of scripture, one of the people that really gets the idea that, okay, this is God's word to me because he wants to be with me. That person is the author of Psalm 119. So let me now just, if, you, if you've got a Bible, hopefully you're, you've kind of been holding this place, Psalm 119. And first of all, if, if you're there, you'll just know, I mean, in my Bible, it covers multiple pages because it's a long psalm, right? 176 verses. But what you may not realize is the psalm is actually divided into 22 sections, And it's divided into 22 sections because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Of course, this was originally written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, each of those sections has lines that begin with the same letter. So if you've got a Bible open in front of you, you may actually have a header that goes over each section that is a particular letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So for instance, in my Bible, the first section has a header that says Aleph. That's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And what that means is all of these statements, all the lines in this section, verses one through eight, each line begins with a word that starts with Aleph. And then you get to the next section and all the lines in you know, verses nine through 16, all of those lines begin with a word that has bait as the first letter. So it kind of, it goes slowly through the Hebrew alphabet. This is called an acrostic psalm. We have a couple of examples of, of this in scripture. And among other things, this means this, this isn't just, you know, this isn't just an author just sitting down and just randomly jotting some ideas down. This psalm is carefully crafted. It's a carefully crafted meditation on the value, the power of God's word. In fact, I think that kind of the question that underlies the psalm, the question that drives the psalm is the question that's found right at the beginning of the second section at verse nine, when the author says this, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? And then the answer, by living according to your word. Now, scholars have kind of debated, why does, why does this verse make reference to a young person? And I think the simplest answer is this. The, the author makes reference to a young person because he's talking about himself, and he's young. So you can, if you want, you can personalize this by putting your own situation in that statement. Right? How does a high school student stay on the path of purity? How does, how does a young adult, or how does a person that's just started marriage, or how does this person who's just gone into a new job, or how is this person who's, who's got, got kids that are leaving the house, or how does this person who's now moved into retirement, and just think about your own life stage, 
and put yourself in the verse and say, so how can I stay on the path of purity? Now, when you see that phrase, path of purity, I think we we instinctively think, well, he's talking about sexual purity, but arguably the language here is intended to be much more broad than that. What the author is saying is, so how can I stay on a path that's pure, that is, that's whole, that is a life of integrity, that is a life of flourishing, that is a life lived well? That's what he's saying, and and he, he says, by living according to your word. And in saying this, I think the author is aware that if I'm not influenced by this word, I'm going to be influenced by something else. That is, if I'm not shaped by your words, God, I'm going to be shaped by other ideas, other themes, other cultural influences. And even as that was true then, I think that's true now, that if if I'm not being shaped by this word, I'm being shaped by other words but I'm being shaped by something. That's, that's true for me. That's, that's true for you as well. And so as the author looks at his own life, he says, so how, okay, here's where I'm at. So how can, in moving forward, how can I live a life of wholeness, of integrity, of purity? How can I live well? And he comes back to, by living according to your word. And then the entire psalm is actually just a meditation of kind of the way he's engaging God's word. And you'll notice he uses different terms to talk about God's word. He talks about laws, statutes, precepts, testimonies. There's a handful of different terms that he uses. He talks about how God's word has encouraged him and strengthened him in times of hardship and suffering. He talks about how it's building wisdom into his life. He talks about how it's giving him a new sense of freedom in the midst of challenging circumstances. So it's this ongoing meditation about God's word. Now, if you take time to read it, you may come away thinking, you know what, this, this author, he's just, he's just an uptight guy checking off boxes trying to keep all of God's law. He's just trying to follow the rules and regulations. You can read this psalm that way. But if you're tempted to do that, let me, let me just make two other observations about this psalm. First of all, you need to understand when, you know, he talks a lot about obeying God's law, and, you, and that just sounds right, legalistic and that sort of thing. But you need to understand the term he uses for law here, particularly in this context, has maybe a broader meaning. I think it might actually be more helpful for us to translate it instruction, guidance. Because he's, he's looking at God's law not simply as, okay, I got, how do I measure up to this rule? But he's seeing it as guidance for life and instruction for life that's to shape how we live. Furthermore, when you pay attention to the various terms that the author uses for God's word here, as I said, he uses terms for law, precepts, statute, testimonies. When you pay attention to those specific terms that he uses, you will discover that elsewhere in the Old Testament, those terms are used in places that are talking about God's covenant, that is God's relationship with his people. So what this means is, is the author is thinking about God's word. He's not just thinking about, you know, certain notes on a page, certain words on a page. He's thinking about communication in the context of relationship. He's coming to grips with a reality that, you know what, this is, this, is, this is God's word to me because he wants to be with me. 
So here's the invitation. The invitation is to be a part of the series, to engage the series over the next 15 weeks as we go through the first part of the Old Testament. To engage this series, recognizing, you know what? This is God's word to me because he wants to be with me. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. Let me just explain the plan to you. So here's the plan. I'll give you kind of three T words. First of all, they're tools. Um, as I said, and many of you, many of you have already picked these up because we've had them available the last couple of weeks. We've got a devotional guide for each of you. Everyone can take one. We've got plenty of copies. A devotional guide that takes you through the series over the next 15 weeks. We have one copy for adults. We've got uh, another edition designed specifically by our student ministry team for our students, that is, those in middle school and high school. And they're available as you leave. So if you haven't gotten a copy, I want to encourage you to get one. And when you get it, if you haven't looked in it yet, what you'll notice is there's four sections each week. Four different sections, a section to kind of can read certain parts of the passage that we're going to be looking at on Sunday, uh, a section to reflect on, on that and understand it, a section to apply it, and a section um, then to pray through it. And, and we designed this so that, you know, so starting like this week, you can read the first week, and that will then lead to our first message in Genesis on next Sunday morning. So you can spend time in the text, and then when you come on Sunday, that's what we're going to be looking at together as a church family, as a church community. In addition to this devotional guide, let me draw your attention to something that you will find on our website, hfcinfo.com. When you go to hfcinfo.com, you'll see a series of cards, and the card that you will see on the upper left-hand side is a Love This Book card, and when you click on that card, it will take you to another web page, which is the web page for the series. On that web page, you will find this devotional guide in electronic form. Furthermore, one of the things we're doing a little differently this time is throughout the series, we are recommending different videos, short videos, that have been prepared by the Bible Project. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, let me just recommend this resource to you highly. You can find it online. It's a, it's a web resource that includes a series of videos introducing all the books of the Bible and certain themes of the Bible. Throughout the series, you're going to notice at different points in the series, in the book, we're going to recommend that you watch one of these videos. And when we recommend a video, all you have to do is go to this page on hfcinfo.com and all the videos have already been loaded. So you will find those there. And these are simply meant as tools to help you engage and understand what's going on in different parts of the Old Testament. Likewise, for those of you who are parents, I'll just highlight this, as I said, let me encourage you. It's a great time to engage your kids because we're all going to be doing the same text together, particularly for those of you who have younger kids in our Kids Step ministry. Just let you know a heads up. Our Kids Step ministry has designated Tuesday Old Testament Tuesday, which means on Tuesdays they will be posting a, a Facebook post that includes resources just to help you engage your kids on what we've been talking about. All this just designed to help foster conversation and to build into your families these kinds of conversations about what God is doing in the Bible. So those are the tools that I want you to be aware of. So not only are we going to give you a tool, we're also going to give you a tour guide, a tour guide. 
Later this year, it's my privilege to take two groups from our church to Israel. I'll be taking a group in April and then one in October. And in getting ready for those trips, already I'm wrestling with the reality, okay, we can't go everywhere, and even when we go to certain places, we can't see everything. So we've got to make sure when we go to different sites, you know, we, 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 we point out, we highlight what's really significant here, and that's the way those tours will be designed. In a similar way, when you come on Sunday morning, we're not necessarily going to go over everything that you've been reading, but what we are going to do is highlight what's really important for you to understand. We're going to encourage you to see how God is at work in different passages of Scripture. We're going to seek to help you understand how different parts of the Bible fit together. So for, for our pre- preaching team, really our role is to be your tour guide each Sunday morning. So we're going to give you tools. We're going to give a, you a tour guide but then you, <laughs> you have to give the time. Because once again, I'm inviting you to do more than just kind of show up on a Sunday morning and participate on a Sunday morning. I'm inviting you to engage in some form during the week. And I realize for many of us, what will work best will to be to do those four sections on four different days. Others of us, I, I know we like to do things in big chunks, so maybe you'll end up doing things in big chunks. But however you do it, I'm going to encourage you to get into this devotional guide that gets you into God's word. Once again, that takes time. And I realize that's a challenge. It's a challenge because it's a challenge because we lead very busy lives. And, and I fully realize kind of carving out even a few minutes over four days can be a challenge. Let's just acknowledge that. I, I think it can also be a challenge for us because, and I don't know if you've had this happen, you sit down, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect, I'm going to read this passage of scripture, I'm going to reflect, and then you sit down and your mind is just going in a million different directions. You ever know that feeling? It feels like a barrel of monkeys is doing gymnastics in your head. And then you really feel guilty, right? I mean, it's like, oh, I can't do this well. I'm supposed to be focused. This is God's word. I'm not focused. And you, maybe at that point, you just want to quit. If that's the case, can I just, I, can I just remind, you know, we, we were looking at Psalm 119. Here's one of the really intriguing things to me. Have you noticed how Psalm 119 ends? Now, remember, this is this amazing psalm, this carefully crafted psalm, this acrostic psalm where the author is, is reflecting on how he's trying to engage God's word and try, you know, and put it into his life. And you were just so impressed with what he's doing. And then you get to the end, and this is the last verse in Psalm 119, and he says this, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. I just find, I got to be honest with you, I find that so refreshing. Here's this guy, right? He's committed to engaging God in his word. Yet, you know what? There are times when maybe it just doesn't work out. There are times maybe when his mind has gone in a million different directions and it's hard to focus. And, and ultimately, you get to the very end and he says, you know what? It just still feels like I am strayed like a lost sheep. Therefore, he says, seek me. Seek your servant. And maybe some days we just need to pray that, Right? And we need to realize that sometimes even in our brokenness, even in our distraction, even in our confusion, sometimes God just wants to kind of break right through that and still engage us in the midst of that. So I think this can be awkward because sometimes our minds just go in a million different directions. And, and, and finally, I'll just say this. I think this can be awkward. It can be challenging in terms of the time because, well, I, I just don't always have these aha moments when I read God's word. And I think that's true. I think all of us experience that. 
But I also think that over time, as we engage God in his word, even in what seem to be very ordinary, maybe even mundane moments, that God uses this in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to redirect us, to reveal more and more of who he is to us, to allow that to sink deeper, ever so slowly into the core of who we are. So, is it a challenge to commit the time? Absolutely. Let's just acknowledge that up front. But even though it's a challenge, would you also hear the invitation clearly? An invitation to get into this book. An invitation to continue grow in loving this book. Because these are God's words to us. They're God's words to us because he wants to meet with us. That's the heart of this invitation. Now, having given you that invitation, let me just close with the question. And the question is this. God wants to meet with us Do we want to meet with him? God wants to meet with you. Do you want to meet with him? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we have already seen during the Christmas season, the the reality of who Christ is is the reality that he is the one who has come to reveal you to us. And this taps into the very core of the biblical storyline that you are in pursuit of us, that you desire to be with us. Father, I pray that 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 truth would grab hold of us, that we could could engage your word in this series because you are in pursuit of us. That's at the heart of the storyline. When we'll be open to that truth now as we move through the next few months. And Father, as we take this journey, as we take this journey together as a church, I thank you for the one who has made that possible, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that I pray this morning. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning as we're starting this new year. At this time, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be available at the front to pray with you if you would like to pray with someone. And also, once again, just encourage you, if you haven't picked up a copy of one of these uh, devotional guides, to, to pick that up and let's start kind of going through that together and look forward to our first Sunday of going through the Old Testament next Sunday. I look forward to doing that because this is God's word to us and he wants to be with us. Amen.